Welcome to the fuzz. This one is a personal one. We have the amazing privilege to talk to my dear friend, Freya Kennedy. Freya is one of those unique humans that shows up in really amazing ways. She's a very close and dear friend of mine, and we get into some more personal stuff. And this is because Freya is a transformationalist. She works with individuals and couples and teams who are seeking to expand into a more fuller, more dynamic, more integrated self, right? These people who are really seeking an objective understanding of the why behind how they think and act and feel. Freya is a certified integrative nine practitioner of the Enneagram. She's also studied extensively the Enneagram and conscious living, as well as the Enneagram and inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. Uh, and she's also a somatic Enneagram practitioner as well. And so she's really dedicated her life to utilizing the Enneagram as a tool uh, to partner with folks who, again, as I said, really are trying to understand themselves in new ways. And we get into some pretty intimate vulnerable stuff here in this episode, we really get at the bottom of these questions of who am I anyway? And what don't I know about who I am? And who who are we all really in our bigness and in our fullness of self? These are the things that we discuss and it is a, a more personal episode and to be honest, a bit anxious, <laughs> anxiety inducing for me as I share even some of my own personal story and, and my own personal growth and transformation. But this is the kind of stuff that we want to unpack on The Fuzz because at the end of the day, we're all human. And whether we're designers or architects or writers or baristas or servers, wherever we find ourselves in the world, all of us are trying to figure this out. We're all trying to figure out how to live a life, how to do this thing that we call being a human. And so I think these conversations are really important for us as we're thinking about our particular craft or our particular trade and as it connects to us and who we are and our relationships, how we show up in the world and how the world mirrors us back. These are critical questions to explore and we absolutely loved this delightful conversation with Freya Kennedy and we hope you do as well. Welcome to The Fuzz, a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. I am Carolina Mantilla. And I'm Joel Ferris. So about six years ago, my wife Sarah and I were at this very lovely, beautiful restaurant in Langley on Whidbey Island in Washington. And... We sit down and we are greeted by this very effusive, angelic person who makes us feel comfortable immediately and begins to facilitate over the course of several hours one of the most beautiful, enjoyable meals that we had. And towards the end of the meal, uh, our conversations begin to become longer and Freya is standing by the table uh, for longer periods of time. And I look around at one point, I recognize the entire restaurant is empty. 
and you and I, Freya and Sarah, are standing there. Well, we're probably still seated. And I remember I, we had gotten into a conversation about spirituality, and I asked you this question. I said, do you know Richard Rohr, who is the, you know, the, the mystic uh, that we all love uh, of the Catholic tradition? And you said, he's my spiritual boyfriend. <laughs> I knew at that moment that we were kindred spirits. And you said, um, let's connect on Facebook. And so we did. We ended up connecting on Facebook. And this was such an amazing, amazing experience because I had just been telling Sarah, dr literally driving up to the restaurant that evening, that you know I was feeling lonely. I didn't have the community that I had used to have. And I was really looking forward to making new friends. Four months later, after some correspondence on Facebook, we also discovered uh, that night that you lived just one town away from us, and uh, we were neighbors of sorts. Four months later, we had you and your husband join us for dinner. Brian cracked a really great joke coming in the door we had never met before. And so immediately it was like, all right, this is how this is going to roll. It's going to be such a fun time. And we stayed uh, at that table till three o'clock in the morning that night just um loving the the conversation and ever since um we've been friends and to this day uh you and brian are some of our most beloved friends and family you've also been really a keystone in our development as humans i mean i think that that's been a really interesting thread through our friendship has been how our friendship has actually been uh, an ingredient or a mechanism of maybe a, a better analogy would be um, has been a mirror that has reflected ourselves back to each other and to ourselves in a, in a manner that has revealed a lot. And there's a truth in our friendship that I think is really rare. And I've also learned about you that you have this with several people that you have been a gift to us, but you've also been a gift to many, many others. And the way that you are able to facilitate and bear witness to the transformation of others' lives, those whom you engage with, is a really powerful and rare thing. And so I wonder if you could, maybe I'll stop talking and pass it to you and just talk a little bit about how you came to the space of being a transformationalist and what that has meant and, and what have been maybe some of the key milestones or thresholds that you've crossed in that journey. Oh, well, best friends forever. I'll say that first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to first say what comes up for me is um, gratitude. I really can receive that uh, so much love and respect from you when you talk to me that way and explain how we met. And I want to also add that um, while I do get to play that or be that for many people, it's less common that I have a relationship that is giving and receiving. Mm. So um, what's unique in our friendship is that that um, I get to receive and I get to be vulnerable and supported and 
um, exposed and still loved. Um, so that's unique. Um, being that in, in my work or like playing that role in people's lives is really comfortable and I love it, but it's less common to also receive it back. In regards to like being a transformationalist, it's uh, <laughs> really a gift. A friend helped me come up with that term because he told me I was more than the work I do, that I was bigger than that. And and how that happened was honestly, when you ask the question is, I just came in to do that. This is my purpose. And I think not everybody knows that about their role in the world, but I think I had a sense of it. And I was sort of trying to reach out and find it in whatever way I could to do that work without any skill for a really long time. And um, because I knew that it lit me up to see people and then to help them see themselves and then see the potential and more in them that they were more than even what they saw and so um it's been a lot of little tiny steps toward that and then once I, this is so cheesy to say but like once the Enneagram found me that is the thing that I plugged into and was like okay here it is mm. here's actually where all those that lifetime of these little reaching for is it this is it that um, that's when it was like, and I've landed. Yeah. Does that answer your Priya, and can we, for everyone in the audience that is our first time, even though we're not going to focus on the Enneagram, can we just give a baseline idea of what it is and like kind of why is that your medium of transformation with people? Yeah. I think um, for me, I've been always searching why do people think, act, and feel the way they do. Since I was a very little girl, I was like, why do, why does someone have the same experience at the same time and respond totally differently to it? And um, so I was seeking to find something that answered that question. And that's why I've connected with it because it's a very complex system that is deep and wide and expansive and continually um, being added to, but it's basically nine different ways that we feel disconnected from an essential quality, like let's say love. And then we perceive that we then have to create that quality in the world and that's on us to manufacture where it won't exist in the world. And we create a self based on that. And we over-identify with this coping self. And what the Enneagram helps us do is identify what that is, begin to disidentify with it, and expand into a more whole self that already exists. So it sounds like to me that the, the Enneagram for you became this armature that you were able to hang all of these this multitude of experiences over the course of your life on in a manner that allowed you to recognize the pattern where you had new insight into, Oh, this is the connective thread between these experiences and why I've had this carry. I've carried this hunch for so long. I, I now understand it. 
and it became that that meaning making mechanism of sorts um is that a fair synopsis yeah. of that yeah yeah for sure i mean that it gave i had intuition about it my whole life but i didn't know that it, someone had put it into right. you know a clear system with pathways yeah where you could have identify the patterns of your personality right and then um find other ways of thinking acting and feeling yeah. that were already available to you yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mean i i pick up on this a lot in terms of with people who are interested in a transformation journey or thinking about what you know whatever word they use right like how do i become more mature or how do I become more wise or um, how do I make better decisions, right? It's at the kind of underneath a lot of that is the question of why am I like this? <laughs> and, and I feel like um, that's a really good question to ask for any journey. And you should always be asking it regardless, because I think another thing we've talked about in these, you know, just to back up a little bit, like we're all humans, we're all trying to figure out life and we're all trying to um, do humaning in a way that works for us, right? Um, and so when you're trying to figure out what it means to be and and to just live, the question, why am I like this, helps us get to the bottom of not just kind of the origin story or events, but like you said, like the qualities of what have I either had or not had in my life that has um, led me to believe and behave in particular ways in the pursuit of that thing. And I think that the Enneagram is a really interesting tool. I, I mean, how maybe you could help us understand better, better how the Enneagram helps us to learn about those things, uh, the things we believe that we did or did not have that shape in a, in a manner that shapes us yeah well i mean if you have a perceived loss of connection from an essential quality of the universe and you think you have to create it then you basically put a pair of glasses on and everything that you take in around you comes through that that this is not all, this is not here, right? So I'm going to look for that to be confirmed in every experience I have and everything I do or feel or think. And what I I'm gonna perceive what other people do and think and feel through that broken lens, basically. So, and there are nine different ways of, of experiencing that. You know, I mean, it's like, why am, I, the way that I am, partly is that we all have this essential value, this gift that we have a little bit um, more awareness of that we think we're disconnected from. And so um, it's really underneath everything we're doing is that I really value, for me, love and attunement to needs. And so that is part of what comes through, even though it's through all this distortion or broken lens, 
people are still, and maybe it feels manipulative and sticky at times, especially if I'm not very aware or even hurtful. Um, people are still, like you started a conversation, you felt really cared for, you know, that's that value of mine is, is part of who I am. It's also part of who everyone is, but it may not be their highest value. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think like a beautiful part of the journey and your role in it, and Joel, you alluded to this a little bit, is unpacking sometimes the potential we cannot see in ourselves and how that can change or teach us to make changes that we don't immediately see because of those like broken glasses perhaps like unpack that potential find those motivations and kind of channel that energy into transformation I think that part is so unique into what you do and the journey you take with people thinking about it when we were going to talk about transformation <clears throat> the first thing that came up to me that I don't think I actually knew and still until I started doing this work intentionally was that it is not something that can be done alone I I had that thought and then I started to kind of question it a bit because I thought well I had transformational experiences before I knew that. And then there's the thought of like, but was I actually alone just because I didn't have the awareness that it took other people to support me on it? I mean, there was probably, and then, you know, you have support that's beyond you, which could be nature it could be the universe whatever people connect with and then the other thought I had was through the work that I do there's three centers of intelligence like three brains and there's actual research on this as well but that your body has a brain a knowing your heart has a knowing and your head has a knowing and I think a lot of these things are often only approached through the head and um, I really think that deep transformation happens in all three places and require and like real deep transformation are when all three are working together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I feel like we come up a lot against that in the corporate world because I feel like the corporate world is so head centric and things that are more heart or body get dismissed easily um is that i mean i'm curious if you've had the, a similar observation or what your thoughts are on that does that ring true for you for you yeah so my work is primarily at this point i find myself in the corporate world which is not where i expected to be working and it's really lovely it's good to do things that surprise you you know I would say collectively that in my experience that it's just safer for people. Uh, the head is a safer place mm -hmm. for people to be. When I do one-on-one -on -one work with my corporate clients, 
that it's safer for them to get into their hearts and bodies, but collectively less safe. And I, I don't mean like, like dangerous in actual threat in the moment, but vulnerability, uh, uh, safety in that regard. Um, you know, when you put money and work, the uh, heart feels like a very dangerous place to go with those uh, being at play as well. I think the body might be a little bit easier. Like I find that people are open to doing some breathing exercises, uh, body still within me. So it's sensation. But when we're talking about showing, showing feeling, that's quite dangerous, especially if you lead in the head. That's just, those are my observations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's definitely rings true for me, just in my own personal experience as a more head-oriented person, I think. It does feel, there's a vulnerability that comes with heart that uh, doesn't feel comfortable. Um, and it's, you know, I can't even necessarily put my finger on what the actual risk, like what's put being risked in vulnerability often, but it's the idea of vulnerability itself that becomes the thing that I steer away from, even if I'm not even sure what it's going to cost me. Um, there's just this like belief that I'll lose something. Um, and to maintain control over that something, <laughs> I have to, I cannot be vulnerable. I think another thing that's coming up for me is this notion that, you know, in the corporate world, you hear a lot of talk, especially in creative environments, like for us at Ginsler, you know, we're a design firm and we um, are constantly pushing our creative bounds. And so what I think kind of modern creative corporate cultures have learned in the last 10 to 15 years is there's a certain level of psychological safety necessary for people to show up and to be really creative. And one of the words that we use in this context is wholeness, right? Bring your whole self and don't check your blank at the door, right? Like whatever, fill in the blank. Because there's this sense or there's some kind of knowing that creativity is fueled by a whole person. We don't want just parts of people. Otherwise, we get parts of ideas or we miss out on full ideas altogether. And one of the things that you were saying earlier about having an awareness of self in regard to what it is, what the quality it is that you've perceived you've either that you've not had and how you want to, how you want to pursue that quality, that maybe there's a connection or a relationship between the quality of life or selfhood that we are in pursuit of and whether or not we are whole. And I wonder if there's a element of what it means to integrate as a person, to bring all of the parts of yourself together in a holistic manner, yet still recognizing the parts that is really fundamental to being a whole person and 
recognizing the beliefs and behaviors that have led you to become the person that you are. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you, it's so interesting. Well, first of all, I'm like, bring your whole self to work. I have so many thoughts about that because most of us don't know who that is. Right. So lovely statement, but are you providing, uh, you know, a spaces for people to find out what that is? Someone said, you know, can I want to be my authentic self at work? And I was like, do you know who that is? Because who you really think you are is your coping self. All of us, we think this is who I am. Mm. And once you go begin to take the courageous journey of going inside into your interior self, and that requires this descent to be with pain, to really ultimate fear, anger, it really requires us to go inside and be with our suffering and to find authentic self. And so the other thing, bring your whole self to work. I'm like, um, are you doing anything to create an environment that supports that? You know, not just mm -hmm. providing uh, spaces for people to go inside themselves, but what about the big environment? So those are things that come up. And there is um, a split between the external life that I'm chasing and the internal life that's going on. Now, I think we have to, again, so with transformation and the, the whole self, there has to be a willingness. People like the idea, but are we willing to, one of my teachers says it's, it's an acquired taste because everything in us actually says, and the environments outside of us say, you can't be your authentic whole self. How dare you? How dare you be big? How dare you be soft and loving? And how dare you have courage and the audacity to empower people and be empowered yourself? You know, there's all this like mixed messages. So gosh, any of us that are willing to, to risk all that and go inside and be like, ooh, there's, there's hurt here. Can I be with it? Um, can I even make space for my fear, my anger, my sadness? You know, I think that these are great ideas, but the actual doing of it costs a lot from the individual. And I think it's not only the doing, but I think it's even like the process of identifying these things is so hard which is where I think you're like the way Joel describes it as your angelic power comes in into like it requires a special kind of energy to help people through the journey of just identifying what are these conflicts and expressions of self that we cannot see through again the broken glasses yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying, and thank you, 
and it, uh, we all need to find someone that someone or a group or spaces that make us feel safe enough and supported enough to do it. And I mean, I, my personality, my coping self really liked the image of being vulnerable and I would manipulate vulnerability in others. And I would make statements like, I'm so open and I'm so vulnerable until I actually was in a space where vulnerability came out of nowhere that I hadn't actually uh, manipulated within myself. Like I'm gonna tell this story or like this vulnerability emerged. And I thought I, I, my body, everything freaked out. I thought I was gonna die, that I was gonna be rejected, that I would be unloved. And the space I was in held that freak out. And then I open my, and I continue, I mean, I'm committed to this transformational work in my own life. And I keep coming up against that thing in myself, even in the safe space, even with the person, you know, the people that are like, I'm here, I love you. That shows how deep they're, how much I recently was talking about how like, I like Lord of the Rings and <laughs> In some of those movies, there are like lines and lines and lines, like as far as you can see for miles of soldiers ready to fight in the battle. And this is this is what I've found in myself and witnessed in others when I work with them. There are just so many lines of soldiers defending us against accessing our whole self. There's just so much. It's like, okay, that line gets knocked down. And I think, okay, I hear it here. I'm more I'm closer to my essence or my true self or my whole self. And it's like, but wait, there's more. Here's another uh, line of soldiers that just don't. And those lines are trying to protect me because when we were little, I didn't have all these resources and the safety and whatnot. So you have all these, the ego is not an enemy, neither are the defense mechanisms. They all belong, but I'm just seeing it because there's so much working against accessing that in us. And so it's really hard work. And we, yeah, we need people when to say like, you can do it. I'm here with you. I've gone there myself. You're going to make it. <laughs> There's a couple of things I want to come back to and just really highlight. And then there's a question I want to ask that statement. I mean, I haven't stopped thinking about it since you said it It's actually been hard to listen to you because I can't stop thinking about the statement. <laughs> it was who you think you are is actually your coping self. Is that how you said that? I think that's how you said that. And when we ask people to show up as their authentic self, the question, do you even know who that is? I think that's such a profound question. And it's a way of asking that question, you know, why do, why am I the way that I am in a, in a manner that is not just seeking kind of the explanation, but it's a posture or an orientation towards the willingness to pursue it. Like, it's not just give me the information. It's the, no, I'll take, I'll go on the journey, right? And um, I think for organizations, especially organizations who pride themselves on culture, to ask, how are we creating 
space and time and environments for people to not only show up as their authentic self, but to ask the question, who am I? Like, it's no longer enough to just say, show up as your whole self. We really need to invest in cultures across all types of organizations that are getting at facilitating the process of discovery, um, not just the perpetuation of coping self. I think that's so crazy good. <laughs> that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you and I were at a wine tasting and uh, we were there. Brian was doing the tasting. <laughs> there was this person who was driving us absolutely insane. And I'm sure many people can uh, you know, resonate with this experience of being in a public at a public setting where somebody is just like super annoying. And I remember we kind of joked, we kind of like had this moment of looking at each other and we both almost simultaneously were like transcend and include. And, um, and it was a joke, but it was also like a real challenge, right? To like actually practice in real life, this sense of uh transcend yes and include and i think what happens when we talk about things like transformation and i see this in a lot of cultures of self-improvement for example that there's a there's a self-improvement culture which leads to very condescending attitudes and you see the, all the memes all the time about like you know how long hanging out with a vegan until the vegan tells you about being a vegan, right? Like you hear these things. These are just, you know, the jokes and the memes that, that make light of these ideas. But there is a sense in self-help. And in, when we talk about things like transformation, people might be associating the word even transformation with self-help, right? And I wonder if we could kind of parse that a little bit, because I actually think it's really important. You mentioned the de the descent earlier. We live in such an ascension culture and we typically think about our primary mental model or heuristic for improvement is growth. It has upward trajectory, not downward, right? So we we ascend, we don't descend. We grow, we don't expand. But I think that's the key is that what we're talking about here is we're talking about expansion. We're talking about integration. We're talking about hospitality towards the parts of ourselves that we have shunned historically because they've not been socially acceptable or they've been too big or they've been too scary or they've been too intimidating or they haven't served us or they, you know, in some way didn't protect us when we needed protection. And so we've shunned those parts of us. But what we're, what we're saying is we're not talking about transformation as this ascension into a higher, better self that becomes a value judgment on those around you. What we're talking about is a deeper inward dissension to shadow, to pain, to loss, to the things that have shaped us that we now cope to to mask. That is an expansion. It's not an it's not a ascension. It's not that I'm getting taller. And I wonder if you could kind of help us navigate that a little bit because I think it's a really important thing for people as they start a journey of whatever it is healing, so to speak, that they're not perpetuating the same cycles of shame in judgment of their insufficient or inability to 
grow in some predetermined way by some guru who wrote some health self-help book, but that they're will they're able to practice integration and wholeness and expansion in the way that when they feel the shame coming, they recognize the part of themselves from which the shame is coming. And they go, Oh yeah, you like you've served me in this way before, right? You've protected me when I needed protection, or you kept me out of danger in this situation, or you gave me thick skin when I needed it, or you helped me perform when I needed to go the extra mile. And to face that part of you in non-judgment and to actually be hospitable towards it and integrate it into your wholeness instead of shunning it. That's the kind of healing that we're talking about, not the transcending, right? I think what's the the way out is through, right? We're not just getting, we don't get over it. It's about going through it. So I wonder if you could kind of speak to the difference between growth ascension culture in the self-help stuff and expansion and healing and transformation as you understand it. Yeah. The statement transcend and include as, I mean, we were using it as a joke, but it also, it came from the understanding that when we not, we don't go, I like this language better is like, we go to deeper levels, not higher. Mm. So when we go deeper, we include the level that we just went through. So when we're able to see that level that someone's at, that we just got through, we can include them without judgment because we've done that for ourselves. So this leads into some of the, when I talk with people I work with, my clients, or even when I'm working within myself, you know, some of the things are, uh, well, presence in utilizing all three centers of our intelligence, body, heart, and mind. So coming at transformation with that, and then radical honesty and compassion. Mm-hmm. When I am descending into myself and I encounter any of those things I've been trying to avoid or that are painful or afraid, fearful, whatever, can I be with it and be honest about it and have compassion for it? Now, if I'm actually doing that in my own self, I will naturally be able to do that for others. Because we're not doing it in ourselves first. We're then bypassing it with a, a some kind of spiritual bypassing or uh yeah, transformational self-help phrase. And that's just the head trying to tack something on all by itself and saying that it accomplished it. (laughs) When really in my heart, I have disdain for that person. But say this person's annoying and you have had some time in yourself of like being with something that's annoying about you. And then you're like, I can be honest. That's probably really annoying that I do that. I mean, you and I have had conversations about when I've been annoying to you. Or I've been annoying. Can I, (laughs) but like, can I be with that? That is true. So even when someone reflects it back to me, I'm like, oh yeah, you know why I'm doing that? I know why, because I've been with it. That annoying behavior is trying to protect something painful in me. 
And I'm going to have compassion for that. So then when I see someone doing that, I go, oh, I recognize that. And I can still be humanly bothered, but I am not like judging them, othering them, pushing them away, saying, make a statement about their value as a human, putting myself above them, saying I'm better because I don't act like that. Because ultimately, one of the byproducts of going inside yourself, that dissent, is everyone is equal. We're all suffering. When I know my own suffering, I know everybody I look at, even if they're not aware of it, are suffering. And so descending in order, I go down to go up. Mm-hmm. And when I come back up, I want to bring everyone with me. We're one. You know, so that's another byproduct of going inside myself and being with all of those parts, being honest about them, having compassion for them. Then there's, uh, we want everyone to have equality and not put anyone outside of this human experience. So that's another byproduct of going inside yourself. But again, it's much easier. We want to blame the external world and other people's behavior. If this person would change, if this part of our culture would change, if this in my workplace would change, then I would feel like this inside. It's the exact opposite. You go inside and then actually everything can be what it is. I love that. So the difference between expansion and growth maybe when there's a internal descension when you have an encounter with a part of yourself that you may not be proud of whether it's an annoying quality or whatever and you spend time with your parts you come to have a graciousness for yourself, but that actually empowers you to be gracious with others as well. I just want to add this, like I'm noticing I'm talking about the suffering, which is very much there and very important to be with. But guess what? There are a lot of beautiful surprises about who you are in there too. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. just want to throw that in as well. That is also part of what's like finding the magic of who you are and the mystery of who you are is in there as well, which then gets extended to others naturally. Right. So it's the magic and it's the mystery and it's the suffering and all these things coexist in you. And they often are mutually informing and reinforcing to some degree. I don't know. This has felt like true for me and that the things that I had thought were bad about who I was for so long have actually been the things I've come to learn as my strengths and my magic and my gift to the world. And often those things are born out of suffering to some degree. Are Is that true for from your perspective that these things are often highly related to each other? Of course. I mean, can you give me an example of what that how you've experienced that? Like, what did you label bad? And then see that it's a strength yeah so I've suffered with clinical depression my entire life and as a kid growing up in the 80s there wasn't a lot of resources for parents there wasn't a lot of uh literature in the world of child psychology talking about childhood depression and what it meant and 
And so for me and my family, what I learned is that for people to pay attention to my experience, for adults especially, I had to be big. I had to, and I had to out articulate them. And I had to talk at their level. And so very early, I learned if I was going to get people to pay attention to me and to trust my lived experience of the world to meet the needs that I was saying I needed to be met, I had to operate at this level. Now, as I got into high school and especially through college and into early adulthood, that quality of bigness, the way that I would talk, the language that I would use, the way that I would articulate certain ideas, and even just my passionate interest in ideas in the first place, was told, I was told over and over again, you're too intense, you take up too much space, you're too big, dumb yourself down, no one understands you, people don't get it, you need to be more accessible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so now as an adult at almost 40, I'm coming back around to the other side of that. I've spent my adult life trying to be smaller and more palatable to as many people as possible. And I'm just now coming to terms with, that's not my purpose in this world. And there is a freedom in releasing myself from that. Even though it was to some degree a trauma response as a child, it actually has become a strength and a power. And I have the self-awareness now to know based on my environment where I can be completely uninhibited and just unleash the full authentic self and where I need to be inhibited and where I need to create and hold space for others through my bigness. But the way that I wield my bigness isn't about, it's not me yelling, look at me, look at me, see me, see me. I want to be seen. It's I can wield my bigness in a way that creates and holds space for people whose voices maybe aren't as loud or people who've historically been marginalized or people who don't get a chance to talk at the table, right? And so the bigness is a gift and it's something that can actually be conducive to inclusivity and equity in a way that it never, I was never told it could be. I was just told I needed to be smaller. That's what I mean by that you know interconnectedness of both my trauma response the way that i developed coping mechanisms to be seen as a child have become strengths as an adult and are part of i think the magic of make of of who i am so you had to descend to grow yeah and i mean like so much of the it's learning to hone the instrument that we came in with right and often for almost probably almost all of us the environment can't hold the gift and neither can that tiny person mm-hmm. you know and it's not until later that you're like this isn't going away this is a value like empower empowering my, myself and other people is like a core value of who I am and it's got to be big because we are all big we actually are all have yeah. the potential to be big and you more than anyone have that lens that sees it and to be able to take it from having to prove something or have power over people to having power with people and empowering you know people without it i mean that is just yes and we all have a version of that um 
So like the fact that you have gotten to see that and work with it and hone the instrument is exactly what I think expansion and transformation is. It doesn't mean becoming a different person or getting rid of anything. It's like, can I welcome all of me and yeah. know that there actually also is more to me than power? Right. So like there's different levels, right? You uh, have a lot more to you than that, but that's going to probably be one of your biggest values and one of the biggest gifts you bring to all of us. Right. That is so wonderfully and beautifully said. Um, thank you, Freya. We appreciate this time. Thank you. I mean, I could talk about this all day. I know. We could too. <laughs> we could too. <laughs> no, this has been a delightful conversation. I think there's a lot of stuff here for folks to reflect on. I think the idea of wholeness and the question of who am I? Um, who am I anyways? And what are the ways in which I can make sense of myself and what are the tools available to me? And I think the the Enneagram is a is a great one. And and how can people find you? I think it's freakennedy.com, correct? Yeah, F R E Y A. Yeah. Kennedy.com. Yes. Sorry. I was also thinking of one other thing I wanted to say, as you said, those like two questions, like who have I been taking myself to be? Mm. And what don't I know about who I am? Mm. Those are two questions that I often am asking myself. Those are great questions. We will include those questions in the show notes as well. And, um, Again, thanks for you. We Thank you. Loved this. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Fuzz, a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. The Fuzz is hosted by Carolina Montilla and Joel Ferris. Production by Jared Price. Brand designed by Krista Reeder. The theme music was written by Ido Maimong. For more on all things fuzzy, please visit our substack, thefuzz.substack.com. Thanks for listening.